You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky. Joining us. This is the Oh Come On Sports Podcast. You're here with Natasha and Al on this fine Thursday morning. Uh, it is officially fall, Al. I think we talked about it last week, but officially now it is fall. Um, nice and sunny here in Calgary. It is crisp, though. It is cool. Crisp is a good word. It is, uh, <laughs> you can see that in the evenings, it's getting crisp and it's getting to be sweater and jacket weather. I was actually out at the, at the Ticats game on Friday, this past Friday. Oh, nice. Ti- yeah, it was amazing. Ticats Stampeders over at Tim Hortons Field, which is an amazing venue. I don't know if you've been there yet, but uh, I have. it is pretty amazing. I was quite it's impressed awesome. with the, with the venue. And more importantly, I was impressed with the throngs of Ticats fans that were out there celebrating and, and really passionately getting into the game. And the Ticats did win. It was uh, it was a whopping three three at halftime, and so my over bet wasn't looking overly great. Uh, but things picked up in the second half, and fortunately, uh, fortunately worked out okay. And the Ticats did come out on top that day, so it was uh, it was a great night out. But it was cold. Did you have a pumpkin spiced latte with you? I didn't, but I really should have. Now that you mention it, I, I, by the way, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of pumpkin spice in everything, right? Like that, the, the taste of it. Put pumpkin spice in in everything. Put it in a muffin. Put it in everything. Yeah, I love it. So I've never Are had you? these lattes. Yeah, I know. I feel like they are all the rage. People go nuts for them, obviously. I think this is the year that I need to uh, sample a pumpkin spice latte. It better I may be Uber- the way people are, are freak out about these things. Like, this better yeah. be the best latte I've ever had in my whole life. I may Uber eat you well. A, 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 a latte <laughs> from all the way over here in Toronto. You're going to knock on your door with a pumpkin spice latte, especially for, for Natasha. I think there's actually a Starbucks at the end of my block. So I, think, okay. I typically don't go to Starbucks, but I think, I think this is the year. I think I need to delve in to the old pumpkin spice latte thing. I was actually at the farmer's market the other day doing a very fallish thing. I was like, I got to go buy some, cause you know, I feel like all the vegetables are coming through totally. and I'm excited totally. about all the produce. And totally. so I feel like it's too early a little bit though to make like it's to me pumpkins don't really come into play until October pumpkin-y things okay. yep. until Halloween Agreed. right but Agreed. I got a bunch of stuff I was gonna do some baking um but I didn't yet I, don't, I gotta okay. find a motivation I have zucchinis I have peaches I have all these good things but uh maybe next week well you know what once a once that official that that kind of fall officially starts the next big event holiday slash thing is Halloween. So I find that as soon as September 22nd, 23rd rolls around that uh, I start to get into the, uh, the Halloween vibe. And we're big Halloween folks here, by the way, my family is anyway. So we do full up dressed on. I have a little guy who's six years old who loves Halloween. So we always do like a family costume. So we're excited about, uh, about Halloween this year. A family costume. I totally the sounds of this. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, you know, I never thought I was that guy. Uh, and then I saw the look on my kid's face, and now I'm that guy, 100%. Aww. Okay, well, as we get closer to Halloween, we can talk about this more. I feel I, we're still a ways away from Halloween. We're still You're right. September, so let's, let's stick with September stuff, including all the sportsy September stuff, like those Blue Jays that we were talking about last week. And yes. I was really curious to see seven days later where they were going to be sitting in the standings. And here we are. And as of uh, Thursday morning, they lost last night to the Rays. They lost seven to one. So they dropped that series and they are now a half game out of the wild card spot. So they're still in the race. Obviously, I don't think they'd be out of the race, but they are officially um, on the outside looking in. They still have that series against the Yankees next week in Toronto. 
So I think that's going to decide everything there. And I don't know, I'll, if I'm a betting woman, what do I put my money on at this point? 10 days to 10 games to go, excuse me, for the Jays. Three of them against the Yankees, one of the teams. Yeah, you know what? I uh, I haven't been paying a whole lot of attention to the Jays over the last week, but I did catch up a little bit. And it's, I mean, it's it, it just going to make it an exciting last 10 days. I think so right now, the betting favorite is still for the Jays to make playoffs. Um, okay. So if you were going to get your money in right now, the Jays are still kind of a... Uh, a a 1.8 in European decimal uh, betting odds to uh, to make the playoffs, uh, and a 2.05 to uh, to not make the playoffs. So there's a, you get better value for your money, uh, or, or the, the favorite to uh, of the two markets is for the Jays to actually make the playoffs. So we're still on the good side of even here, for now. Okay, Jays fans will be happy to hear that. Um, I feel like that series against the Rays. I hope it doesn't throw them off a little bit. They were kind of kind of up and down there, but we'll see if they can. Uh, Get back on track, of course, against the Yankees next week. And uh, football was an interesting weekend. I uh, had a chance to actually watch some of the games at length, which was awesome. Finally had some time on a Sunday, which was great. What game did you uh, watch? What games did you watch? Well, I got to say, <laughs> I was watching the Seahawks and Titans. And nice. the Seahawks go up 30 to 16. And I'm like, oh, God, OK, well, that's it. Game over. I, t- I literally turned the channel to something else. And then I'm watching the highlights later on that night and I see that the Titans won the game and I missed the whole Derrick Henry run. Like I missed the whole, I was like, how my goodness I turned the channel obviously way too early. Yeah. 16. How do you lose that? But we did. That was insane. He went, he went absolutely nuts in the second half there. It's you know, it's, it's kind of refreshing to see uh, a team that can change the game in the second half running the ball. Cause you don't see that very much now, right now. It's all about the quarterbacks. But man, that guy is an absolute monster. He was running over people. I think he went for 175 yards and three touchdowns or, or whatever it was. Uh, that was that I watched that game as well. I was watching a little bit of the Steelers game as well. The Steelers and the, uh, and the Raiders. And uh, that was, that was a lot of fun to watch too as well. Right. It was, there was a whole bunch of really good games um, this weekend. A lot that, came right down to the wire. Obviously we had talked a little bit about the Kansas city chiefs and the Ravens game, which turned out to be an absolute classic. Did you get a chance to see that at all? Well, I did remember I texted you during the second half because I was watching it. And last week on the show, we had put down our little bets or we did. They're not even bets for me. So I'm not putting money down. I guess they're predictions though. If I was, I would have put it on the chiefs. And yep. yet I was charging for the Ravens in that game because I love a good comeback story. So absolutely. That was a little backwards, but that was an awesome game, obviously. And uh, yeah, yeah, don't count out the Ravens. Want to go? Well, we for had two. I love John Harbaugh there asking his QB. Want to go for it? That was so good. That was amazing, right? And the hell yeah, as response was amazing. What you'd expect from a football player. I know we uh, we made two picks last week. Uh, I think we agreed on two picks, and we went zero and two again, Natasha. So we lost on the Chiefs, and we also had. I believe, well, at least I had, I don't know if you agreed with that. I think you did, was the, the Dolphins to hopefully hold on at home against the Bills as a three-and-a-half-point underdog, and they lost 35 to nothing. Um, did I yeah. so the that, Dolphins? I, I think I we did. We'll have, to go, we'll, have, we'll have to go back, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to check the tapes on this one because every gambler in the world says, I swear I picked the Bills. But we're going to have to uh, go back and uh, go back and check the tapes because um, I definitely was on the Dolphins, so maybe you disagreed with me. Okay. Yeah, that was – lopsided to say the least that one um are you gonna get a chance to watch any games this weekend at all there's some really really interesting matchups this weekend 
Well, I mean, definitely. I think we were talking about um, the Bucks and the Rams. Is obviously, I think that's. I would say that's the game to watch this weekend. Is it not a possible so. NFC Championship preview? Absolutely. I think that's going to be a fun one to watch. And I think uh, so. The Rams actually went into Tampa Bay last year, if you remember, and and, and beat the Bucks 27-24. And that was actually Sean McVay's their coach there for his first win against Tom Brady. Um, so they match up really well. And now with Stafford in that offense, I don't know if you've watched any of the Rams games over the last little bit, but I, I, I'm a Rams fan. Um, so I got a chance to watch and that offense just looks, you know, it looks very, very different with Matthew Stafford at quarterback versus, uh, versus Jared Goff, um, Stafford and Cooper cup look like they've been playing together for, for, for decades, never mind years. So they look really, really in sync now that, but the Rams did lose their starting running back who is on my fantasy team, unfortunately, um, which kind of sucks, but yeah, so the, we will see, cause we know that, uh, that Bucks defense is, is, is pretty serious. And of course, Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Of course. And I, uh, like you said, Matthew Stafford, I mean, I think this is kind of his first real test of the season, would you say, against against the Bucs and Brady? Um, I think so. so. They're, yeah, they're the favorites, though, are they not, heading into this one? They are. Bucks are the underdogs, the which you yes. don't see very often when it comes to the Bucks. No, absolutely. You know what? Let me just double check on that line right now because I was checking over the course of the weekend. I was just on the Ryder Cup lines right now because I'm excitedly thinking about golf this weekend. But let me have a quick look at the uh, at the Bucks. And you know what? The Bucks are actually a one and a half point favorite right now, going oh. into the Rams, going into LA. Um, yeah, which will be interesting. So they actually they are road favorites, which is always a you know kind of always a bit of a bit of a tough one to get on the on, on the betting side. Okay, can you explain that to me? Because I swear when I checked yesterday, they were not the favorite heading into this one. But the line can change over the course of the week. Absolutely, absolutely. And and lines will be different at various sports books. So effectively how it works is there is a a line that, uh, there's a beginning line, there's an opening line, as it's called. Uh, And that is kind of, you know, generally consensus amongst all sports books. And then as money starts coming in, the sports books want to incentivize players to be on a certain side. So let's say the let's say the Bucks started at uh, minus one uh, as a favorite, and let's say a lot of folks were betting on the Bucks. Um, then the sports book would potentially move that line to minus two, which means the Bucks have to win by two now or to minus three. So what they're trying to do is encourage money on the Rams, um, mm-hmm. so they can get kind of an even position on both games, right? Ideally, in an ideal sports book world, this is not necessarily. True for everybody, but in an ideal sportsbook world, the sportsbook wants to have the same amount of money on both sides of the game. Uh, that way, there's no risk, right? And then they just yes. take the commission kind of on top of the bet. So when lines move, that is the sportsbook, the traders going in and saying, I want to encourage some activity on this side. So I'm going to move the line a certain way and hopefully to encourage that activity. And then as, as money comes in on the side that they desire, they can move the line backwards. So it's a constant balancing act. Uh, and right. that happens at every sports book individually, which is, it's, it's a really cool thing to see. I've had a chance to sit uh, at one of the kind of professional sports books um, and sit with the traders. And it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's comparable to being on wall street, right? It's, it's an amazing, amazing experience. And those guys are beyond super smart. Cool that you got to sit in on that. So I imagine it's very cool. Breaking down every single angle of every single team and player that you could even think of. Absolutely. But you know what, to be honest, most of it is based on, I mean, the initial line, most of it is based on historical data versus uh, what you think is going to happen in the future game, right? It's always the best indicator of future performance is past performance. So the more data you have on, you know, the last five, 10, 15 years of similar scenarios, and that gets modeled out, 
and gets played onto the various scenarios. So there's a, there's a real mathematical kind of science behind this versus saying that I think Tom Brady is going to play well this weekend. It's it's very much about uh, about the data behind the scenes. Okay. Well, um, let's make a pick. I I feel like with this game, I'm going Rams. Rams. You're going home. Rams. You're yep. taking the you're taking the Rams at home. I like it. I I'm like it. Matthew Stafford. Yep, to beat Tom Brady. You know what? I uh, I am in total total agreement with you. I've had a chance to watch the Rams over the last couple of weeks. Again, being a Rams fan, I know they hadn't haven't had the level of competition, but I think they match up really, really, really well. And I think, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, Stafford will be able to take them, you know, kind of over the top with the, with the way that air attack has been over the last little bit. So I'm going to completely agree with you on the, uh, on the Rams at plus one and a half as of right now at home. Okay. And any thoughts about chiefs and chargers? That was another kind of higher profile game. We always, we're always talking about the chiefs, right? But it's hard not to talk about them. So yeah, they're a fun, they're a fun, exciting team to watch. You know what? I'll be honest, man. I think, I mean, in a lot of cases, you know, people are going to expect that the Chiefs, you know, lost a close one, had a bit of a heartbreak, so they're going to come back on fire. But there's some interesting trends about the Chiefs over the last little bit that, you know, may lead you to believe otherwise. Um, for instance, yeah, well, I, well, that's a great teaser, right? Well, the Chiefs right now are 2-10 and 10 against the spread in their last 12 games. Right, so they haven't really been that well at they have done that well at covering the spread uh, in their last 12 games. Um, the Chiefs are 1-5. and five against the spread in their last six games as a home favorite, right? So being, being a favorite at home doesn't seem to agree with them. Again, they've lost, you know, they've lost uh, five of the last six against the spread, not lost the game against the spread um, right. in terms of, uh, in terms of being a home favorite. So there are some stats, the chiefs, I look, I think that that run defense for the chiefs has been really, really, really suspect. I don't know if you've seen over the last couple of games, but they have given up in two games, 404 yards and seven rushing touchdowns in two yeah, games. The is, Chiefs' defense has given up. That is not good. <laughs> no, not at all, right? Not at all. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Now, I know that uh, I know that the Chiefs offensively have the weapons to score with anybody and probably to outscore anybody, but uh, we'll see if that defense can hold up. I mean, they had Tyron Matthew back last week. I don't know if you saw that. The Honey Badger best nickname in football as far as i'm concerned who had two picks last week so we'll see if that if that defense can step up a little bit but they are they they look a little bit leaky so the favorites win this one i would say what are what's the official line we have right now well right now as of the as of as of right now the chiefs are a six and a half point favorite at home uh against the Chargers, and it is right and the Chargers have played really well i mean both teams lost a heartbreaker last week i don't know if you watched any of the chargers cowboys game last week but um it lost on a last second field goal after an amazing game. And the guy hit a 56 leg. Greg, the leg Zerline hit a, hit a 56 uh, yard field goal to win the game. Yeah. Uh, but in my opinion, the Chargers looked really, really, really good that game. They had, I mean, that, that Dallas offense is, is pretty explosive. And, um, and they held Dak to like an 87.8 QB rating last week and threw a, I got a turnover from Dak. So I think they have, the ability to hold, you know, kind of hold quarterbacks in play. I think, I think the, the, the chargers are kind of a, a sleepy good team. So I am definitely all over the chargers uh, as, as road favorites in this game. That's right. Road underdogs in this game. Right. Uh, I'm the same. I did see some of that game against Dallas. I agree. They were awesome. Uh, so I'm, I would go chargers in this one too. Nice. Chargers and Rams. Those are my okay. picks. My two picks. Lock them in. This week. Lock them in. Yes. Lock them in. So it's, we we we, we got to turn the ship around a little bit here, Natasha, because we haven't done too well over the. Well, I haven't done too well over the last. Couple I weeks, know, but uh, hopefully this is a this is the start of a start of a winning streak here. All right, 
Uh, the other thing, of course, that I think we're going to be watching this weekend, Al, is the Ryder Cup. Uh, lots of, I mean, there's always buzz about the Ryder Cup. Uh, the Americans are young, they are rash, and they're the favorites heading into this one. Um, which are. I, I don't know if I, I guess I agree with that. I just, I think the Europeans, they're so calm and cool all the time and they have all that experience and they always seem to jump out to these early leads and then just demolish the Americans but we'll see what the vibe is uh this weekend we're gonna have uh, Jason Logan on the show he's the editor of Score Golf and a contributor to the Toronto Star he will give us all the ins and outs of the Ryder Cup but I'm intrigued to see how all of this goes down um of course you have Bryson DeChambeau who doesn't seem to be like much of a team player at the moment says he doesn't love the Ryder <laughs> Cup which on one hand I get because uh, as a golfer, it's an individual sport. All of a sudden, you have to be a teammate, but apparently he's having an issue with that. And then there's, sorry, I'm, I meant to say Brooks. Brooks Kepka, yeah, not Bryson Brooks, yeah. Brooks Kepka, uh, he was the one saying that. And Bryson DeChambeau, I have on my brain because he's in training for the World Long Drive Championship. So I don't even That's know if right. his head is in the right space for the Americans. So there's a bunch of storylines with that team right now. There is. It's it's going to be really interesting. I was kind of hoping, I mean, in, in just the Canalex soap operas and stuff, I was hoping that they would pair up Brooksy and Bryson and we get to see them play together and that would be more for the drama. But no, I think, like, I think you're right. I think there's, uh, uh, like, I think the course uh, has gone a lot into the jumping the odds, right? I think this course rewards long hitters and those, all the Americans can absolutely pound the ball. Um, yep. So we'll see how it goes. But there's that, it's that kind of classic, you know, that classic matchup of, Young and brash versus old and experienced. I don't want to call the guys old, but the European team a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, a little bit more metal. They do have, you know, John Rahm and some of the, you know, obviously some of the best players in the world. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, an interesting matchup. Um, on Tuesday there was a press conference window that had four of the Americans. I don't know if you saw that, but it was Justin Thomas, Spieth, Bryson, and Scotty Scheffler. So that seems to be so. There seems to be this pod kind of this strategy, right, where they define four players and then the players interchange within those four players for various matchups. So it looks like those four are going to be playing together. And I think seeing uh, Justin Thomas and Spieth together again would be really interesting. They played together in, what is it, 2018, uh, and they won three of the four sessions. So I think those two together might be really interesting to watch. Um, and then the, the third group also, really interestingly, was uh, was Brooks Kepka, Finau, Daniel Berger, and Harris English seem to be looking like they're going to be paired up. So I think there's going to be some really interesting matchups within each of the, uh, you know, kind of each of the pods that have been defined. Agreed. And I'm with you. I think Thomas uh, and Spieth are going to light it up. All that other Agreed. drama and aside, I'm really looking forward to watching the two of them together because I think they're going to be awesome. So, um I think we should bring in our bring in the pro to talk about this and give us a little more yeah. <laughs> background on this. Uh, let's bring in Jason Logan. All right, here he is, Jason Logan, editor of Score Golf Magazine and a Toronto Star contributor. Uh, Jason, I'm just thinking, are you in Wisconsin already? Or are you in Toronto? No. You must be there already. No, I'm not. I'm I'm not unable to go. Um, oh. uh, two two young ones with school and after school care and also uh, a magazine deadline next week has uh, prevented me from actually going. So I'm handling a lot of the preview stuff from here and uh, and we'll be doing some stuff over the weekend as well. We've got someone on site, Adam Stanley's on site down there for Score Golf this week. So we're both writing for the Star and Score Golf. So uh, We've got uh, a lot of coverage pre and uh, during and post Ryder Cup. So exciting, uh, exciting time for us. 
you must be disappointed that you're not there. I feel like there's always <laughs> such a buzz about the Ryder Cup. I mean, people get excited for the U.S. Open and the Masters as well, but the Ryder Cup just it's different. Can you it's explain way different. that difference in the buzz and the and the hype around it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I think obviously this one in particular because it's been delayed by a year, so there's a lot of pent up excitement for this event. Um, you know. Those other majors that you mentioned, Natasha, they're obviously huge deals, but there is nothing quite like the intensity of the Ryder Cup. And it's particularly appealing, I think, for us as fans because they're playing with that intensity and there's nothing on the line except for pride and playing for country or continent or playing for each other. We know these guys are not playing for millions of dollars and yet they try harder or it seems like they try harder than in any other event that they play. So that's a huge part of it. The match play component is a huge part of it. We don't get a lot of that in golf. So this, you know, mono a mono style that we have here. And the fact that, you know, tomorrow morning, Friday morning, when it starts, there's only going to be four matches on the course. So as viewers, we get to see everything, you know, it's not one of these major championships where uh, you miss a bunch of shots or the telecast says this just happened a moment ago. We get to see absolutely everything. There's this concentration on these four groups that are out and then on the 12 golfers on, on Sunday during the singles play. So there's that aspect too. But then for me, most importantly is that for the Ryder cup second sucks. There's no second. There's no like, Oh, I had a top five in a major or, Oh, so-and-so had uh, three runner-ups last year. That doesn't matter. It's either you win right. or you lose. Right. And everybody knows that. And for the team that loses, especially if it's the United States again, it's just a, it's just a massive, massive crushing disappointment. You know, you don't, you take no solace of finishing second at the Ryder cup. So all those things combined, I just think it makes it the greatest golf spectacle in the world. And the fan interaction. That's one of my favorite things about, uh, about watching the Ryder Cup is seeing yeah. the interaction with the fans. Is, is that going to be the same this year? Do you think given oh, any yeah, restrictions that sure. are in place? Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's there's going to be lots of people on site. The only disappointment is that, um, you know, with the difficulty of traveling uh, in this COVID, in these COVID times, probably not going to be as many European fans on American soil as in the past. And the, the European fans are sensational. You know, they are For sure. right into it all the time. They've got that, you know, famous ole, ole, ole chant going <laughs> when the Euros are doing something. Um, uh, so I think... Uh, whereas in the past, when the Ryder Cup is in the United States, if if the percentage of fans are kind of 75, 25, I mean, that might be as much as 90, 10 or 95, 5. I don't really know exactly. But um, either way, they'll be boisterous for sure. Um, and I think the fans are, are pretty good. I mean, they, they obviously are going to be cheering for the Americans pretty heavily, but... I think they also recognize that this is going to be a lot of fun and uh, they recognize that the Europeans are, are pretty good guys, even though they are the opponents. The U.S., they seem to have the edge in talent. They're the favorite. What do you think is the biggest ob- obstacle um, that those guys are facing? What would what oh. was stop them from actually winning this thing? Each, each other, Natasha. Each <laughs> other. <laughs> um, I don't know the answer. I just wanted to hear how you were yeah. going to frame it. Well, listen, there it's it's no secret that um, there has been some infighting among members of the U.S. team. It's no secret that uh, several players uh, on this squad have some icy relationships, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, um, certainly, obviously, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka they just plain don't like each other, um, regardless of, of what they're saying this week, that they're putting those problems behind them. They, they don't like each other. 
Um, you know, there's even thawed relationships between Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson, who at one time were best buddies and workout partners. And, you know, it was like Brooks Kepka was Dustin Johnson's little buddy. And now Brooks Kepka has become the alpha and they're not really as warm and fuzzy as they once were. So certainly there's that aspect. And then the other thing is just, I think the amount of pressure that the U S will put on itself just because, um, they don't win this that often. Um, you know, they did win. Uh, two Ryder Cups ago um, in 2016, they won in convincing fashion, but that's their only win of the last five. And they were beaten handily in 2000, uh, whenever the last one was in Paris, 2018, they won in 2016. Um, so they do seem to play with a little more pressure and a little more stress where the European side, um, they just like to have fun. They play very relaxed and very loose. And I think that's what you have to do. And it's obviously proven successful for them, you know, for the last number of years. Okay. So let's delve into some of these, these people issues with some of these guys. <laughs> Brooks, yeah. Is Brooks a team player? What are we going to see from him? Is he just making noise just to be annoying? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think his idea of being a team player is just go out, put my head down. And if I win a point, then I've done the best job that I can do. Right. And there's truth to that. Sure. I mean, like ultimately your only job um, or your number one job as a rider cupper is to just go out and, and win your match and put a point on the board. But, you know, I think there's also something to be said as, as one of the the veteran guys, the more experienced guys, and certainly, uh, I guess the most accomplished guy, when you consider he has the four major championships, you know, being there to kind of pick up some guys if they're not playing well and have some pep talks and, and rah, rah, and, and all that stuff as superficial as it seems has proven to be very important in the Ryder cup. So, I mean, he's going to go out there and, and just kind of try to play his match, but you know, I think Steve Stricker, the captain of the American side is, is going to have to lean on him to try and be uh, show some team spirit, right. And, and, and cheer for his brother in there. But uh yeah, he's made no bones about it that um, he just kind of sees his role as a Ryder Cup as just go ahead and win my match. And, and it's not really dissimilar to Tiger Woods back in the day who who eventually came around. And certainly when he was an assistant captain, he had a play, played a big role. And when he was the captain of the Presence Cup team, he played that role. But guys like that, you know, they're so individualistic every other week of the year. I think it's hard for them to get out of that frame of mind. Yeah. I, I mean, I get it. It, it makes sense. Um, but the way he just talks about it, sometimes it just, he comes across as arrogant again. It's right? the, <laughs> the act is wearing thin. The kind of yes. schoolyard bully act is starting to wear thin. I mean, his spat with Bryson DeChambeau, look, Bryson DeChambeau does himself no favors with the way he acts out there and, and the way he whines and the way he talks to, his former caddy now, I should say, the way he talks to rules officials, the way he sometimes talks to his playing competitors, uh, he's not done himself any favors. And he is kind of like that guy that's easy to pick on. Um, at the same time, Brooks Kepka sort of amplifying this on social media um, with a beer sponsor behind him and, and <laughs> basically encouraging people at events to yell out Brooksy at Bryson DeChambeau, like that stuff's just uh, a little bit absurd for me. So um, I think he could give that a rest. Um, that, that's kind of gone on long enough for my liking. Yeah. I'm glad uh, I'm not the only one who's kind of sick of that too. I'm, I'm, I'd be happy to see that whole thing over. Um, yeah. Speaking of Bryson, is he in the right, right headspace for this? He's training for that world, the long drive. <laughs> it's, it's honestly, Where it's the most, 
It's the most absurd thing I've ever seen <laughs> with regards to the Ryder Cup. I mean, the only example I can think of that is close to this is, and it's not on the same level, but um, ahead of the 2004 Ryder Cup, which was famously the Ryder Cup where Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson were paired together and it went disastrously. Um, Phil Mickelson changed equipment companies the week before the Ryder Cup. But I remember he came to the Canadian Open that year just to try and try out his new clubs. Uh, and he finished last in the field among players who made the cut. And then he went to the Ryder Cup, you know, using brand new equipment. Sure, he's tested it before, but listen, these golfers are so particular to show up at an event that big with brand new equipment that you obviously don't have a 100% feel for and then go out to play terribly as he did was another example of a golfer maybe that's not in the right headspace for this event. And um, yeah, this DeChambeau thing, um, he's obviously all about distance. He feels that's his biggest weapon, obviously. But um, listen, if he goes out there and puts up a donut, oh my God, I mean, the criticism will not stop for a long, long time because I'm, I'm sure he's tiring himself out with all this speed training and the number of golf balls he's hitting and talking about his hands being wrecked uh right. last week say i think yeah. he hurt his hands or he's they're cut up or whatever yeah he, what? he 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 clarified that and he, and he said that the quote that he gave came a couple weeks before Ryder cup but it just kind of surfaced in yeah. in the not too distant past and and so maybe it was taken out of context a little bit but as i alluded to before uh he does himself no favors and uh this is just another example <laughs> Okay, let's do some, let's talk positively about some of these guys because Al sure. uh, and I were saying that we think uh, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas are going to light it up. Do you think, do you think that's, that will happen? Well, they better, um, you know, I think they're going to be relied upon heavily. Um, they, they have a fantastic past in the Ryder cup playing together. Um, I think Justin Thomas is probably the most spirited of the American players. I think he's going to be got the guy along with Jordan Spieth who will be looked upon to lead, um, you know, the other veteran members we already covered Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson. I mean, he barely has a pulse at times it would seem. So he's probably <laughs> not going to be the raw, raw guy. So they're right. going to be looking to Justin Thomas to fire up the crowd and, and, and play well. And so, yes, I, I would say that those two guys will form an excellent partnership if they, as they've done in the past. Um, their best buddies, Jordan Spieth has found his game again. And then Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley, uh, I would assume are going to play probably every match together as well, because they did that in the president's cup uh, in 2019, they only had a two and two record, but they played great and they're very familiar with each other and they get along well and they have a similar style game. So I think those two partnerships are certainly going to lead the way for this U S team. What about on the European side? Who are you, sorry, Natasha, what are you, uh, I mean, there's obviously the best player in the world over there, right? John Rahm, yeah. in some opinions. Um, and it looks like a very interesting group potentially uh, brewing with, uh, with, uh, with, with Rahm and, uh, and, oh, and uh, Paul Casey, Fitzpatrick and Hatton. Um, are there anyone, any real sleepers on the European side you think we should be we looking for? Or is it, is it kind of the best of the bunch, John Rahm? Well, I think Victor Hovland has a chance to be, you know, a, a superstar. Um, he's he's a rookie, but he's a great young player. Um, he's one of the best iron players in the world. Um, 
you know, he's, he's young, so he might go out there and be overwhelmed by this whole atmosphere, or he might just go out there and be a complete superstar. Um, the interesting dynamic in this Ryder cup and, and probably the number one dynamic is you've got a extremely experienced veteran European team, a bunch of guys who have a lot of wins under their belt in this competition playing against, you know, they're not an upstart team because they're accomplished in their own right, but playing against a much younger, much more inexperienced team who nonetheless is the favorite on paper. So, um, Certainly Europe's going to be looking to guys like Lee Westwood and Sergio Garcia and Rory McIlroy and Ian Poulter, all of whom have been excellent in the Ryder cup. Poulter in particular always just seems to find his game out of nowhere for this competition. He's had uh, really a terrible year. Uh, Lee Westwood only had really um, a good fortnight back in March where he finished runner up at two events in a row. But other than that, he hasn't played well. Matthew Fitzpatrick hasn't played particularly well. He's got one Ryder Cup. He only played two matches. He lost them both. The Europeans lost that one. So it's funny because as much as we've talked about question marks for the United States, Europe does have some question marks too in terms of their guys aren't really at the top of their game, aside from, as you mentioned, John Rahm being the number one player in the world and almost winning the FedEx Cup and having a marvelous season. They've got some question marks too. So it's going to be a case for them is can these guys just find their magic all over again? Or are they just in too deep against this really, really stacked United States team? You know, I'm looking at betting markets right now as the, the, the top point scorer overall right now. Johnny Rum is the, the favorite at seven to one. And Justin Thomas is right behind at nine to one. But I loved your your pick of uh, of Victor Hovland. I, I, that was something I was intrigued by as well. And he's sitting at plus 1,400 right now to be the top point scorer overall. So there is, could, could be some value in there. As long as he hits a lot of greens, he'll be fine because if he misses greens, his chipping is not good at all. And um, Natasha, I'm not speaking for you, but you probably know this. I know this. Chipping can be the hardest part of the game. And imagine having an awkward chip when there are thousands of people looking upon you and it matters more than any other chip you've hit in your life. Um, it would just add extra pressure. And he admittedly is not, a, is not a good chipper. So um, great. Again, great iron player. If he hits a lot of greens, he'll be just fine. Is he that bad of a chipper that it could yes, go he, wrong for him? Really? He, 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 in the past said, I, I suck at chipping. Now he's gotten a little <laughs> bit better, but he's not the only one. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me that at the professional level, you oftentimes see, players who aren't very good chippers have tremendous success. I mean, Anna Norquist just won the women's British open and, and she chose not to chip from a lot of situations where she should, she just hit putter. Uh, you know, Martin Keimer back in the day, won a U.S. open. He couldn't chip. He just hit his, he, he would putt from 40 yards off the green, but he won by eight shots. Um, so as, as much as it is a huge part of the game, I guess there are ways around it. Um, if, if you draw the correct lies, I suppose. <laughs> That's funny. I feel like I finally have improved my short game this year when it comes to shipping. And I feel like it's one of the most satisfying things. Yeah, I know. It's right. <laughs> yes. It's land a good chip. Like I'm so glad that I have sort of finally figured it out a little bit. Yeah. Well, I've, I've experienced the old chipping yips as they, as right. they say myself, and there's nothing worse than when you miss a green and you just put your head down and you're like, Oh, there's no way I'm going to get this up and down for par. And I might not even yeah. get it up and down for bogey. So it's just a completely lost cause, but, uh, I'm glad you figured it out. Me too. Me too. Let me tell you. Um, I wanted to just go back to Ian Poulter for a second, cause you mentioned him and, and that pick did raise quite a few eyebrows. Do you think that gamble will pay off for Europe? 
you know, I, I, uh, I think it was at the end of the day, it was probably the best option for Padre Carrington. He said it given that this is a way game and given the, uh, I don't know if I would call it hostile atmosphere, but certainly hugely, hugely pro American crowds, uh, this week at whistling Straits, I think he needed that experience. I think he needed a guy that actually relishes the role of villain like Ian Poulter does. Um, if this Ryder Cup had have been in Europe and the way Ian Poulter has played the last year, maybe he doesn't get the pick. Um, but I think Padre Carrington knew that coming over to the U.S., trying to win a Ryder Cup on foreign soil, which is very tough to do, um, he needed as much experience as he can get. And uh, I'm not certain that Ian Poulter is going to find all of the magic that he's found in the past, but I am certain that there are going to be at least a couple of huge putts that he makes and he'll be screaming as loud as he can and, and, try, and trying to rile up his teammates and trying to get under the skin of both the American players and fans. And uh, so ultimately, yeah, I, I think it was the way he had to go. Okay. What do you think about the course? You've had a chance to play. Uh, with I have. I was reading you played with your dad, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Tell us about that. Tell us about the course and, and just playing it, what that was like for you and your dad. Yeah, awesome. it was amazing. It, it was a long time. I think it was ahead of the 2010 PJ championship. So I'm pretty sure it was in 2009 that we played and uh, it was awesome. I was going down to, to write about it, obviously uh, ahead of the PJ championship, but uh, they were nice enough to uh, let my dad on the course if he got his way down there, which he obviously jumped at the chance to do. And it was great. I mean, we played on a beautiful morning, uh, just the two of us, um, you know, one caddy double bagging it. Uh, it was awesome walking out there and it is a spectacular looking course. It's, you know, maybe the most dramatic uh, piece of property I've been on in terms of a golf course. Um, there are several holes right on Lake Michigan. Um, the day that we played, it was like a four club win. So the course played very, very difficult. Um, the forecast for this Ryder cup, they say the wind's not so supposed to blow all that much, which is not such a bad thing because I think you want to see birdies at the Ryder cup. You want to see holes one with birdie. Um, people will talk about it being a link style course. It may look like a links course in terms of the fescue and the bunkering and the fact that there is no trees out there and the fact that it is on the water, but it, it's not a links type of course. It doesn't play firm and fast. You're not going to see guys trying to bounce balls in the green. Um, they almost have to saturate the course to some degree and soften it because it's such a radical design that if they did play it super firm and fast, it would get out of hand. Um, so, you know, it's, it's funny. It kind of plays more like an American style course in terms of just launching the ball up in the air, but more than anything to me, it's going to be a memorable venue for this Ryder cup because, you know, I've written this before. I've talked about this before. If you go back over the last 15, 20 years, I mean, it's, it's almost hard to tell one Ryder cup venue from the other. I mean, even in Europe, they don't use the great links that we see for the open championship. They just use these parkland resort courses that kind of look like any course you might find in Florida or wherever, you know, largely because the res these resorts pay big money to host the Ryder cup. So, um, what I think is great about the whistling straights is that it's just such a striking canvas and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch it. Certainly the aerial shots of it are spectacular. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, more than anything, I, I will just remember this course more than other Ryder cup venues of the past. Awesome. 
Okay. Well, we are looking forward to it for sure. Um, before we let you go, I just have a couple of questions. You get to play. I think you get to play golf a lot. You just mentioned you. I don't. I have. I've only played. I've only played eight games this year, Natasha. Now oh, that no. uh, part part of that is having two kids, uh, uh, three and seven years old, or almost yeah. four and seven years old. Um, but also part of it is just being busy, but I like to play a lot of golf in October. So I'll probably double that number October and even into November if the weather's nice here in Toronto. Yes. Fall golf is the best. Okay. So on that note, tell me what your favorite course in Canada is to play and yep. a hidden gem out there. Well, it's, I'll give you two out West and I'll give you one. Uh, I know you're originally from Edmonton. So, uh, Fairmont Jasper park is my favorite golf course in Canada. Oh, um, awesome. 100%. If you could, if you could transport me anywhere tomorrow, it would be on the first tee of Jasper park. Uh, I've long said that, uh, if I could only play one Canadian golf course for the rest of my life, it, that would be it. Uh, I just love the setting, you know, the Rocky mountains, uh, the, the design of the golf course. It's just such a fun place to play. Um, it's got the perfect number of hard holes and easy holes and, you know, just breathing in that fresh air, something about that place. I just absolutely love. And for a hidden gem, I love a call, a course called talking rock in the interior of BC. Um, it's in chase BC. It's on the little shoe swap first nation. Um, and it's almost like Jasper park light. Um, it's, it's really, really good super underrated. Um, you know, it's got some holes that overlook the shoe swap river, um, the mountains off in the distance. And it's just a great course that people don't talk about enough. And I think that might be like 80 bucks at its most expensive to play. So, um, both a hidden gem and a great bang for your buck as well. Okay. I'm going to add it to the list. I have been fortunate enough to play Jasper a few times and I agree with you. It is spectacular. It's awesome. It is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Jason, thank you so much for this. I was, you reminded me that the last time we saw each other, we were in a group of people. We had the Leafs game, we went for drinks. It feels like so long ago with COVID and all that stuff, but hopefully we get a chance sooner rather than later to do yeah. stuff like that again. Yeah, yeah, time. exactly. Yeah, different time back then. But uh, totally. hey, if it wasn't for COVID, we wouldn't be able to do these easy Zoom interviews for podcasts. So there you go. That is true. Okay, Jason, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the golf this weekend. Okay, thanks, thanks. There you have it, Jason Logan. I loved um, his response to the uh, biggest obstacle for the Americans being each other. Each other. Just <laughs> so bang on. That's kind of hilarious. I mean, he. I feel like I'm always such a party pooper and I get like fed up with the Brooks versus Bryson thing, whereas other people love it. But I don't think Jason loves it. He was rolling his eyes. I'm kind of over it to the, some of their shenanigans are just a little over the top in my opinion. Yeah. Agreed. You know what? But it was cool to see his, uh, his level of knowledge of all the players and stuff. It's just a, a different level, right? I mean, it's just knowledge of their kind of tendencies and what their strong and weak points are. It's really cool to get that, that kind of insight. And I'm going to use his tip on Victor Hovland, I think, and maybe put a little bit of a future on Victor Hovland to be, uh, there's a whole bunch of betting markets for the, for the Ryder Cup. There's literally good bet on all kinds of stuff. So he could be the Europe's best rookie potentially. There you go. There you okay, go. Well, that is it for us. I, I don't want to talk about golf anymore. I want to either watch it or play it. And play. Uh, I'm hoping to, like Jason, I'm hoping to get a ton of golf in for, over the next few weeks before it snows, which I feel like is not that far away. So, uh, anyways, enjoy the weekend, Al. Uh, who we got? Chargers and Rams. 
Yes. And, you know what? We didn't really just who who do we think is going to win the Ryder Cup? I'm going with the uh, I'm going with the what am I going with? I'm going with the Europeans. Are you? Yep. I was I was hoping you'd be going with the Americans because I wanted to take the underdog Europeans because oh. I don't think I think they're going to get in each other's way and I think there'll be some the internal conflict is gonna is gonna show. I think you know as a on day two, when uh, you know when the teamwork is especially necessary, I think that's when you see the Europeans kind of kind of shine through. So I'm I'm going to side with you, I think, and go with the Europeans. We're boring. We need to start picking against each other. Maybe we'll try that next weekend. Okay. Have a great weekend. Uh, thanks for for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. See you later. You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky. Come